Rhode Island's housing crisis remains one of, if not the key issue, our state faces. Over the course of this series, we've heard from elected officials, experts, and service providers who have offered ideas, and in some cases, solutions, to address the crisis. One such idea came from Governor Dan McKee's office, who enacted a down payment assistant program of $17,500 for qualified first-time homebuyers, though the program is now exhausted. With the release of their latest budget, Rhode Island's Department of Housing is facing scrutiny from some elected officials as to how funds are allocated and deployed. Efforts to expand housing across all levels have been undertaken, including luxury apartments that are being developed at the so-called Superman Building in downtown Providence, and the acquisition of the Charles Gate Nursing Home as a new shelter facility. But there remain significant gaps, all of which will require innovation, empathy, and collaboration to overcome. There are success stories, including Crossroads, Rhode Island, whose Housing First model helps to provide a range of specialized services to meet the needs of the unhoused population. Crossroads has recently undertaken several development initiatives. Karen Santilli is their CEO. The project planning started about four years ago, and it was in direct response to our uh, desire to redevelop the um, old YMCA single room occupants we have here at 160 Broad Street. We call it the Tower, Travelers Aid Housing. So we have 176 people living in rooms. They have no private bathrooms, no private kitchens. Um, and it needed to be redeveloped to create more respectful housing and, and lessen the density in this small building. And so we looked at every possible option and given the funding requirements that had gone into that building we we couldn't uh create fewer units and end up with fewer units and have people homeless or displaced and they had to be rehoused in a in a neighborhood close to where they already live and so uh, the opportunity to purchase an old abandoned parking lot came up and um, we purchased it and um, are building Summer Street, which will be 176 apartments with uh, one bedroom apartments. So there's separate bedroom from living room, private bathrooms, private kitchens. When that's done, we will move everybody out of the tower rooms into their own apartment and then we can redevelop the tower and create 80 additional permanent supportive housing apartments. Um, and then we also have a third building um, right in this corner, of, right behind our building, where we're create, uh, creating 35 additional apartments for medically vulnerable individuals. So there's a lot happening on this block, um, but it really came from stemmed from the need that um, no one other than Crossroads is building ho housing exclusively for extremely low-income households that have experienced homelessness. And we knew that we had to do it and, um, and, the, need was, and the need was growing. So um, at the end of this project, we will have about 300 permanent supportive housing apartments. Some will have been redeveloped, but um, well over a hundred net ad 
which is the largest number of permanent supportive apartments for extremely low-income households and households experiencing homelessness that we've built in this state in a very long time. What was the permitting process like and, and what was your experience in terms of the neighborhood, in terms of the city, in terms of the state in getting this done? Yeah, it's, um, you know, <laughs> affordable housing is not affordable to build and and it's taken us a long time. So the building that we're building um, is actually perfectly aligned with the city's master plan. It's in a high density neighborhood. It's in a transit oriented neighborhood. So the building that we're building is by right. So we didn't have to go through any kind of variances. We did do um, a lot of community outreach because the first floor of the building will have community space. And we wanted to know what did the community want to see in that space? Did they want to see a coffee shop? Did they want to see just open space that people could use? Um, and, and in that process, you know, there were some neighbors that expressed their displeasure of having more low income housing. Um, but there were a lot of people that were, um, very positive and excited about it because we were taking a blighted abandoned parking lot, creating a new building, adding green space and plantings that don't currently exist. Um, the city and the state have been very supportive of the project. Um, it just, it takes a long time to get to this point because we have to have all of our funding sources. So there's 17 different funding sources going into this project. Um, it's very complex financing, but it's the kind of financing that we have to cobble together so that when the building is built, um, we are able to house people with extremely low incomes. They pay a third of their income for rent, and we're able to operate um, and provide supportive services to the people living there. Um, most for-profit developers would not do this because, you know... <laughs> It's um, the finances are uh, they're messy, but the state understood the need. This is where we received a $10 million appropriation, thanks to the, the speaker uh, and members of the General Assembly and, um, and the governor's budget. Two years ago, there was a $10 million direct appropriation for this project um, that was critical um, to finalizing um, the financing around the project. What, what does this do from your perspective to inform other communities, perhaps other developers, about opportunity for creating, like you describe it, housing for extremely low-income folks when you take a look at the projects that you're, you have underway and you talk about transforming what is otherwise sort of a blighted area and in some cases, you know, maybe nothing uh, at all, really, in now transforming it into something that is super serving a particular aspect of the community, but that has the power to transform lives in such an important way. How does this sort of serve as a template for other communities, whether it's Woonsocket, Newport, Warwick, Westerly, whatever, and how yep. they might be able to to address this issue? Yeah. You know, that's, that's the key question because we're not going to get ourselves out of this housing crisis if we don't have 
the full participation um, of all the communities and towns because that's at the level it happens. I would hope that those communities would take a look at the project and see that um, it's good for the community, that, that it's good for the people that we're serving. Um, you know, there's a stereotype around this kind of housing that that often people have concerns about, but when it's built and comes into their community, those those um, they see positive things instead. This happened in North Kingstown, uh, where we have a beautiful community of 104 family apartments called Kingstown Crossings and um, beautiful townhouses for families experiencing homelessness extremely low-income households and um i mean i'm 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 proud of of what that program has done in that community i mean we took old blighted navy housing uh again part of the property was abandoned and and not used underutilized and we built kingstown crossings um i want to say we finalized that project in like 2010 and it's been great for the community and for the families and for the people that that um, that are experiencing homelessness from that part of the state and want to stay living in that part of the state. Um, and that's the same with this community here. The people that will be living here are already from this area and they want to stay. And people who are rehoused in communities that they are originally from do are tend to be more successful and stay housed because they're living in the community they want to live in and they have the resources at their disposal so this has to happen in every community because every community is burdened with the housing crisis and that leads into a conversation that we had earlier on this series with house of hope on the idea of pallet shelters and i think back to even with rehousing folks on a on a so-called temporary basis in hotels, you enter into municipal nimbyism, something we saw from Cranston last year when pallet houses were proposed there and there was concern from the mayor that he didn't want people, you know, using bathrooms at and gas stations or whatever it was. Um, kind of a low-level argument, but nonetheless one that is permeating throughout the state as we talk about the housing crisis and ways to address it, particularly for the most vulnerable folks. So what's your advice to providers out there or entrepreneurs out there or philanthropists out there, anybody that looks at this crisis and says, man, yes, the the sophistication of financing is very difficult, but it's something we can overcome with the right people, with the right energy. But how do we change hearts and minds? For folks that just say, "Yeah, not here. We're good. We'll let it. We, we're we're happy for this to be uh, in Providence and not in our community." I would say it's already in their community. I would say they need to take a good, hard look at what's happening in their communities. I mean, when we looked at the the last zip code of people who've come from uh, communities to crossroads um, for help or folks that we've served there was all but two communities where um, people didn't come from that were experiencing homelessness. So it's already happening in our communities. It's already happening to our neighbors. The housing crisis is impacting everybody. Um, And I would say when people are housed, 
their lives stabilize. They don't have to use the bathroom at the gas station because they have their own bathroom in their own apartment. And that's what we need to stay focused on. We know people, uh, their social circles improve. They don't use the emergency departments. They manage their medications. They're more, it's, they're able to find employment when they have their own apartments. When people are living in shelter, they're still in survival mode. They're still experiencing homelessness. And that causes chaos in their lives and trauma in their lives and and perhaps chaos for communities. Maybe chaos isn't the right word. Maybe it's just they're not they're not living as um, you know, they're in survival mode. So from my perspective, it's about um, focusing on the housing, helping people get rehoused, stabilize. Not everybody who's experiencing homelessness needs permanent supportive housing. In fact, it's only about 20 to 25 percent. The rest of the people can live in market rate apartments with the short term bit of support to stabilize. And so if we focus our resources and our energies and our efforts on rehousing folks in the communities where they're originally from, then, you know, you won't see them um, using bathrooms in the gas station. Um, and, and that's how we change hearts and minds, because then people realize, um, you know, that they're our neighbors and, and they deserve to live in apartments and, um, and are, maybe we won't change everybody's hearts and minds, but... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mike, that so that's the focus. That that's our focus. Right now, the construction is underway. Cranes. I don't know if cranes are there. I haven't seen that, but certainly the project is underway with with the Superman building. And when this first came out, there was some criticism, including from myself, that while this level of housing was important, it didn't really address a lot of the needs across the board for folks who just need, don't necessarily need luxury housing. Um, just need somewhere to live in Providence. At the same time, when you take a step back, you realize that housing development across the board, whether it's for extremely low income folks or somebody who might want to rent the top of this or purchase, I don't know how they're going to operate. I think it is a lease scenario, but uh, the top of the Superman building in a penthouse. Why is it important that housing across, and I use quotes here, all levels of income are essential so as to not clog up the available housing stock throughout the entire spectrum. Exactly. I think that's an important statement. We can't have the system clogged. We need movement in the system. We need movement in the market. So as I mentioned, 20 to 25% of households experiencing homelessness need permanent supportive housing. That's housing that's deeply subsidized rents, and supportive services. The vast majority need short-term assistance or a one-time bit of financial support. Those folks that we're rehousing, we're rehousing in the private market. We have relationships with landlords across the state. We need those apartments in the private market um, for the folks that are getting that rental assistance or that one-time bit of support. And if if people are staying in those market apartments because they can't afford the next step, they can't afford to buy a home or they, or they they can afford it, but there's no other units, uh, apartments available. 
then there is no movement in the system. And the people at the lowest end get left out. Uh, Providence's apartment vacancy rate, last time I looked, was something like 1% or 2%. Mm. They say a healthy market should have about a 7% vacancy rate. So it's a, it's a it's supply, a supply and, demand and demand issue. It's clear that the Rhode Island housing crisis is a complex and sad issue. At its core is development, which could be spurred by rezoning opportunities, creative thinking, and empathy. Housing across the full financial spectrum, from very low income to luxury, is essential to create a dynamic marketplace that can fulfill the supply and demand needs of the state now and into the future. There are good people working on this project, smart people, energized people, who through collaboration can create something special and perhaps turn Rhode Island into a leader in how to overcome a housing crisis. I'm Bill Bartholomew. This has been a special report of the Bartholomew Town Podcast.